Psalms 53 tonight. Uh, let me read verse 1. You read verse 2. Me verse 3 and following, all right? It's only six verses, so uh, let's begin. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. All right, now you got verse 2. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand that did seek God. Every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Before you read, it kind of sounds like that uh, Romans 3 text. You know, Paul said, For all have sinned that come short of the glory of God. There is none that seeketh after God. All right, you got verse 4. Go ahead. Have the workers of iniquity uh, no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread? For they have not called upon God. There were they in great fear. Where no fear was, for God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them to shame because God hath despised them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. Now, reading that, you're probably thinking, well, you know, I kind of get some of that. But what's all of that got to do with us? Well, I'm glad you asked because in just a moment, I want to kind of tell you what all of this has to do with us. So let's pray. Father, would you help us tonight and bless your word for just a few minutes as we turn our thoughts toward the Bible. Thank you for people who have braved the cold to come out on a Wednesday night, come to church. And uh, Lord, because they love you and they love the Bible, they love their church. God bless these dear people. Give us some instruction, some encouragement from the Bible that will help us tonight. And an understanding of what this psalm is saying to us as we live in these last days. So bless your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our Wednesday evening services for well over a year now, we have been making our way through the Old Testament book of Psalms. And I've simply called this preaching through the Psalms. We've been going, uh, going uh, uh, chapter by chapter, division by division, and we're trying to get an understanding of the feelings of the writer as well as the facts uh, of the scripture. I told you way back when we began looking at the book of Psalms that there's not another book in all of our Bible that touches all the notes on the keyboard of human emotion. I mean, as we have made our way through this book, we have seen the psalmist very high. I'm talking about high, high. And then we've seen him very low. I'm talking about low lows. And they're all, all those expressions, all those emotions are expressed throughout this book. At sometimes the writer seems to have great faith, experiencing and believing the presence of God. At other times we've seen the writer in great fear, doubting and questioning the presence of God. Before I get too hard on him, I just want to remind us all that pretty much sounds like at least my experience as a Christian, as a child of God. And probably if you're honest, you'd probably say, you know something, that sounds a whole lot like my experience as a child of God as well. Because there are times that we rise up in great faith and we express, we express our confidence in the presence of God. And then there are other times when we hit those low points in life. 
And sometimes we look up and say, God, where are you? We have all been there in those moments uh, of our life, times of great faith. Times, uh, I think about Peter, Simon Peter in Matthew 16 when Jesus said, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And old Peter spoke up and he said, Well, some say that you're, uh, you're uh, uh, John the Baptist risen from the dead. Some say you're Jeremiah the prophet. Others say that you're Elijah. No, he said, Okay, he said, uh, Who do you say that I am? And you remember, old Simon Peter spoke up in a great moment of faith and said, Thou art the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed that. I mean, Peter's almost about to sprout wings and fly off. And yet, just a few verses later, in that same chapter, Jesus starts talking about going to the cross. Simon Peter says, be it far from you, Lord. And Jesus turned around and looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Now you talk about one moment on the top and the next moment on the bottom. That's Peter's experience. But let's just pretty much say that that's probably our experience as well. There are great moments of faith in our life. Man, when we just believe God and there are no doubts and then there are great moments of doubt in our life when it seems like we don't believe God and that pretty much sums up the experience of the psalmist. And tonight we find our way all the way up through the 53rd division or chapter of this book. And once again, if you'll look there in the superscription, we read like so many of the psalms that we've been through so far that this is a psalm of David. We also read that it is a psalm, uh, a masculine psalm. That means a psalm of in instruction. But on a practical note, I got to tell you that uh, this is a great psalm for you and I to be in in this particular moment of human history. As we watch daily the reports coming out of the Middle East and the war that is raging between Israel and Hamas and all that's going on over there, and, and the, the nightly news broadcast all of that live into our living rooms about what's going on over there. This is a great moment for us to be in Psalms chapter 53 because this psalm speaks to the turmoil and the, and the conflict that is going on in the land of Israel. In fact, it speaks to it uh, even as recent as this very night. So let's see if we can't break all this down for us just a moment. And if you'll listen, I think it will become evident as we break the psalm apart what the Lord is really saying about what's happening in the Middle East right now. Now there are a lot of people who say that Psalms 53 is identical to another psalm. We've already been through it. It's Psalms chapter 14. We've already been through that psalm. And they say that this psalm is just a repeat of that psalm. And as you glance through them, you read through them, you know, at least initially, you might think that to be true. However, let me just remind you, there is a difference between Psalms 14 and Psalms chapter 53. Just because they are similar does not mean that they are the same. The major difference between the two psalms, Psalms 14 and Psalms 53, is this one. Psalms 14 deals with the sin of man while Psalms 53 deals with the man of sin. Big difference. Psalms 14 deals with history, while Psalms 53 deals with prophecy. It looks forward to a time when, when God says to those who would rid the world of him and rid the world of his people, God is going to say, that 
is enough. A time when God will settle the accounts of the man of sin as well as the accounts of the sin of man. Now with that being said, there's one key phrase in this psalm that helps us to understand what it's all about. Look at verse 4. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge? And then notice this, who eat up my people. Now who are the people of God? Well, I'm glad spiritually I am a people of God. I am a child of God. And if you're saved, you're a child of God. You're in the family of God. But I think that this psalm is speaking more about the physical family of God as such, that is of the nation of Israel. And God asks the question or talks about people who eat up my people as they eat bread. So we kind of get an understanding now that this psalm is really about the people of God. And it's about people's attitude toward the people of God. So tonight with that being said, I want to break apart this psalm. Let's see if we can at least kind of get a picture of what is going on in the Middle East right now from this particular psalm. How many of y'all have been interested in all that? The war that over the nation of Israel. It seems like the nightly news is bent on distorting the picture of what is actually going on there because they talk about Israel battling Hamas. But the first thing they do is, instead of showing all the casualties that were in the land of Israel, talking about little babies that were decapitated, seems like they've kind of let all that slip by and they're more interested in showing uh, what is going on in the, um, in, the, in, the, uh, in the Hamas area, the Gaza Strip or the, uh, the, the, wherever that is, the Palestinian part there. Uh, they're, they're more interested in showing all the inhumane things they say that's going on there and it gives rise to people to actually hate the nation of Israel when all they're doing is trying to protect their sovereignty as a nation. All they're trying to do is to protect their people. What nation wouldn't do that when they've experienced the atrocities that the nation of Israel went through? And it seems like the media has a biased viewpoint, a biased presentation of what's going on there. And it seems like the more that they show, the more that the world turns against the nation of Israel. So with that being said, let's talk about this psalm. And let's talk about what's going on in the Middle East. I want you to see beginning in verse 1, verse 2, and verse number 3. Let's talk about the wicked world. The wicked world. Now God said there in verse number 14, He speaks of those people who eat up His people as they eat bread. Now the one thing we've all got to agree with tonight is simply this. There is a rise in the hatred of the people of God throughout the world. We cannot miss. I saw a commercial, whether this be true or not, I don't know, but they said since the war began over the Middle East that anti-Semitism, hatred of the Jews, has risen by 388% in the United States of America. Jews are being persecuted. They are being tormented even in our own country because of what is going on over in the Middle East. Now let me just stop and remind us all as God's people, we cannot hate the people of God. We cannot hate the nation of Israel. Let me say it like this. God has chosen to bless the entire world through the nation of Israel. You remember that Genesis 12 text where God said, I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse him that curseth thee. Can I tell you the contributions of the Jewish people to, uh, to the nation 
to the world are enormous. I mean, God has chosen to take that little group of people and through that little group of people, God has chosen to bless the entire world. There is no way anybody in their right mind could hate the nation of Israel. Let me list to you, listen to this, let me list to you some of the things that the children of Israel, the nation of Israel has given to the world. Listen to this. I don't know how many of you do this. I do this every day of my life, and I probably ought to quit it, but they told me when I was 40 I need to start doing this, and now I'm 60. So for the past 20 years of my life, I've taken an aspirin every day of my life. Now, whether that's doing me any good or what, I don't know, but I will tell you this, that the reason we have aspirin is because of the nation of Israel. A Jew by the name of Bayer, B-A-Y-E-R. How many of you have ever heard of Bayer aspirin? The Jew, a Jew by the name of Bear, invented the aspirin. So the next time you go to the cabinet and take out an aspirin to take, remember we wouldn't have that were it not been for the nation of Israel. What about this? What about atomic energy? We have nuclear power plants. We have uh, energy that is provided through those power plants. Uh, a, a man by the name of Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer. Heard that name before? He also invented the atomic bomb. He was the man responsible for inventing the atomic bomb that was, that was dropped on uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, Japan, back during the days of World War II. And whether people agree with that or they don't agree with that, the one thing we all can agree on, it brought World War II to a close. And there are no telling how many millions of Americans would have lost their lives if we would have had to attack the shores of Japan. And nobody, have, nobody telling how many Japanese people would have, soldiers would have lost their lives. So it shortened the war, and we owe all of that to a Jew. What about this? Listen to this. Have you ever had a polio vaccine? Polio vaccine was actually invented by a man by the name of Jonas Salk. Guess what? He was a Jew. And by the way, also these other, uh, blue, the bubonic plague and other, other vaccines that we have today were invented by Jewish people. Guess what? Cell phones were invented by Jewish people. The, country, the, the company of Mo, Motorola was the first people who put out the cell phone, but they had a division of Motorola that was nothing more than Jews who worked there in their, in their developing plant. They came up with the idea. How many of y'all got a cell phone? It is a Jewish idea. What about this? How many of y'all got a stent in right now? A stent in your heart, in an artery going to your heart right now? Guess what? The Jews invented the stents. How many people have avoided... How many people have avoided open heart surgery because they went in, broke through in there with a roto-rooter? I just don't know about the sound of all that in an artery. Sounds like you're cleaning out a, like a septic tank line or something like that. You go in with a roto-rooter, clean out the, the cholesterol, stick a stent in there, and you avoid open heart surgery. We owe that to the Jews. Listen to this. What about this? Uh, you, ever, you ever use a ballpoint pen? Guess what? A Jewish invention. What about this one? Pacemakers. Anybody here got a pacemaker in? A Jewish invention. What about stainless steel? 
Anybody ever got any stainless steel pots or something at home, whatever? Jewish invention. What about this Google? You ever Google anything? Google was actually started by two Jewish young men as they attended Stanford University. And what about this one? What about this one? This is going to amaze you. Everybody's going to breathe a sigh of relief. Barbie <laughs> was invented by a Jew. And what about this? Out of all those things, what about your Bible? There's only one Gentile writer out of the 40 men who wrote the Word of God. Only one, Dr. Luke. The rest of them, Jewish men. And by the way, what about this? What about the Savior? God has chosen. How in the world can you hate somebody that give us our Bible? And how can you hate somebody who gave us our Savior? We owe a great indebtedness to the nation of Israel. We, as God's people, ought to God has blessed the world through that nation. And yet in our day, they are hated and maligned. And it is increasingly, our world is becoming increasingly filled with antagonism and animosity against the Jewish people. Watch this. I just read this in the news this morning. Our Congress yesterday took a vote on how many of our Congress people say that the nation of Israel has a right to exist. And there were two people. Talib, is that right? One of the posse, not posse, but what do you call that one? The squad. She voted present. And a congressman named Massey from, of all places, the state of Kentucky, voted no. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. We're in a world of hurt when we have to take a vote in America to see if Israel has a right to exist. And by the way, can I tell you something? If every one of them would have voted against it, that book says it's not going to happen. And I stand with God on that. I stand with God on anything. But oh my soul, have we lost our minds? You know what God says to the people who eat up his people as they eat bread? You know what God says? Fool. Now, I get it. You say, preacher, hold on just a minute. You better be careful calling people a fool. Well, let me just tell you this, friend. I, if God says it, I'm okay saying it. And God said, if this world thinks they can rid itself of me and they can rid itself of my people, God said, fool. I looked up some synonyms of the word fool. Here they are. Idiot, moron, blockhead, dimwit, ignoramus, and numbskull. That's straight out of the thesaurus. And the thing about it is, most of these idiot, moron, blockheads, dimwits, and numbskulls have PhDs on the walls. Is that not amazing? Ladies and gentlemen, it is it not amazing to think that a person can read a book and know that there is an author. They can look at a portrait and know there's a painter. They can look at their watch and know there's a maker. They can look at a house and know there's a builder. They can look at a creation and, and say there is a creator. But how can you look at the nation of Israel and say there's no God? I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, if there is any evident existent uh, evidence today that God is real, all you got to do is look at the nation of Israel. I mean, obviously look at creation. Uh, King Frederick of Prussia, he was a believer, but at one time he was struggling with great doubt 
as to the reality of God. And he asked one of his court physicians, how can you really be sure that God exists? And his physician looked back at him and said three words. The Jews, sire, the Jews. You let me tell you how I know that God exists? Obviously from creation. Obviously from the fact that he's changed my life and moved into my heart. But the ladies and gentlemen, one of the greatest proof that God exists, look over there at that nation of Israel. That nation exists today because God said it would exist. And God says anybody who thinks they can rid this world of me and rid this world of my, of my people, God said they are a fool. At the end of time, we know the Antichrist is going to come along. And once again, he's going to say there's no God. And he's going to try to rid the earth of the nation of Israel. We read about that. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, uh, in, and when the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, when you see that take place, he said to his people, Jews, it's Jewish in contact. Don't, don't come out. Don't flee off the rooftop and come into the house. Don't come out of the fields. In other words, God has said, run for your lives. And they're going to have to literally run. Run for their lives because there is a man who says, no God and no Israel. And God said, fool. Come on. The warring world, the world is at war tonight and they are warring against God and against God's people. The, the, the wicked world. And then notice in verse number four, notice the warring world. The wicked world that tries to rid the earth of God's people tries to rid themselves of the knowledge of God. But notice this beginning in verse number four. Have the workers of iniquity no knowledge who eat up my people as they eat bread? They have not called upon God. So they're trying to rid the earth of God. Does this not sound like the world that we're living in today? They're trying to say to us there's no God. And they're trying to rid the world of God's people. They're eating them up. God said they're eating them up just like they'd eat a piece of bread. They're destroying or trying, they're bent on destroying the people of God. And yet while there have always been those people who hate God, and hate God's people, and they've always wanted to rid the earth of God's people, and as we approach the end of time, we know there's going to come a great, once again, a great uh, animosity and hatred of God's people. God said, I just want to tell you something. You're never going to get rid of the nation of Israel. Never. I read these verses a couple of weeks ago. Let me read them to you again. Look at Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 35. Thus saith the Lord, and then watch this. God said, okay, I'm telling you, I give the sun for a light by day. Now, how many of y'all will agree with that? And the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night. We agree with that. God did that. He divides the sea when the waves thereof, the Lord of hosts, is his name. So God said, okay, here's what I'm doing. I'm putting the sun out by day, the stars out by night, and I tell the sea you can only go so far. All right? God said, because I do all that, if those things depart from before me. In other words, God said, okay, if the sun no longer shines, the stars no longer come out at night, the waves are no longer held back, then God said, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. In other words, God says, as long as that sun is up there, as long as them stars are there, as long as that ocean is there, I just want to tell you, Israel will never, ever cease from being a nation. I don't care who comes against them. I don't care the army that comes against them. They will never, ever 
cease. They will never ever be extinguished. They will never ever be destroyed. Now if you don't believe that, look at verse number 5. God said they eat up my people as they eat bread. They have not called upon God. And then God says this, there, there were they in great fear where no fear was. For God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth, notice now, against thee. Thou hast put them to shame because God has despise them. Let me give you, let me put that whole verse, verse number five in Forsyth County language. Don't go messing with my people. Don't mess with my people. Let me tell you something. I could, I could give you illustration after illustration from the Bible as well as from history about how God stepped in at a moment it seemed like the world would extinguish, destroy the nation of Israel, yet God stepped in and spared them. And as long as that sun comes out every day and those stars come out every night and as long as those waves crash into the seashore, God said, my people are going to, they'll never cease to exist. Let me give you some illustration. One of my favorite books in the Bible is called the, the book of Esther. If you've never read the book of Esther, and I'm sure you have, you ought to read that book. It's the only book in our Bible out of the 66 books, it's the only book in our Bible where the name of God is not mentioned one time. You say, preacher, hold it now. The Bible is God's book. And there's a book in our Bible that only mentions There it is. It's called the book of Esther. But I tell you what, you'd be hard-pressed to find another book in our Bible that proves the existence of God more so than the book of Esther. Can I have an amen? God may be invisible in that book, but he is also shown to be invincible in that book. I love the book of Esther. And it's all about, you know, God's people as the book opens up. They're in the land of Persia. Babylon has been defeated by the Medo-Persian Empire. Now the captives of Babylon, which include the Jews, have now become the captives of the Medo-Persian Empire. And there's a man down there by the name of Haman. He's vice president, second in command in the land of Persia. And he hates Mordecai. He can't stand Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew alive in Persia, in the city of Persia back in those days. And everybody that, that, that when, when Haman rides by, everybody bows their knee except Mordecai because Mordecai believed the Bible and it said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He wouldn't bow to him and because of that, Haman hated him with a passion. But because he hated Mordecai, he hated the people of Mordecai. And he went to the king, he gets official permission to destroy all of them at a set time. So I'm telling you something, they're all down there. The king gives him permission, hands him his official ring. He takes that ring, dips it in hot oil, stamps it on official documents, thereby sealing the fate of the nation of Israel. They're all going to die on a certain date, which would be our month of March in the land of Persia, all the Jews. The Persians are going to rise up and they're going to kill all of Mordecai's people. Well, unbeknownst, unbeknownst to Haman, the king has married a Jewish girl. Her name is Esther. Unbeknownst to him, unbeknownst to, to Haman, he has actually consent, gotten consent to kill all the king's wife's people. You know the story, how it all unfolded. I love that chapter 5 and 6 of that book. Uh, he, he, the king couldn't sleep one night, and when the king can't sleep, can't nobody sleep. And so he tells one of his servants there, he rings the bell. He said, hey, go get me a book out of the library and 
Bring it in here and read it to me. I can see that old servant going down the hallways, wiping the boogers out of his eyes, runs in there, dark, no lights on, just grabs a book, comes running back into the king, opens it up to the chapter where Mordecai had saved the life of the king. You tell me ain't no God. There's no telling how many books are in that king's library. I mean thousands upon thousands. It's dark in there. It's the middle of the night. He just runs in there, grabs the book, comes back, opens it up, and it's on the chapter of how Mordecai saved his life. And, and, and so the next day, about that time, Hammond shows up, and the king looks at Hammond, and he said, Hammond, could I ask you a question? What do you think ought to be done to the man who saves the king's life? And old Hammond thought, man, he's talking about me. Oh, he said, I'd put the king's robes on him, let him ride in the royal chariot. I'd cause all the people to bow before him. He said, you know, Hammond, that's a good idea. Do all that for Mordecai. Wouldn't you like to have been a white fly on the wall and saw the lips, the, the mouth of old Hammond drop open? And before long, watch this, before long, the gallows that Hammond had built to destroy the Jews upon Hammond and his family was destroyed. Talk about poetic justice. Listen, you can't destroy that which God has said is indestructible. I'm telling you, you don't want God fighting against you. We don't want God fighting against us. That's why we ought to never, ever turn on the nation of Israel. Look what our text says there in verse 5. There they were in great fear where no fear was. They were, they were, they were in they were tr fear and trembling. And there was no fear. And then the Bible said this, God had scattered the bones of him that encompassed against thee. In other words, God, God fights for his people. That's why, that's why we better leave them alone, let them do what they need to do, because if this world rises up against them, God's going to step in and fight for them. Can I have an amen? Another Bible story. Another Bible. I'm a simple Bible preacher. Remember back there when old Sennacherib and the king of Assyria had brought all of his troops down? He had already ramsacked the northern kingdom and he comes against Judah. And Judah had something, had two things he didn't count on. Number one, they had God. Number two, they had godly king Hezekiah. And old Hezekiah started praying. Took, you know that old king wrote him a letter, a threatening letter. And the Bible said old Hezekiah took that, that letter into the house of God and spread it out on the altar for the Lord. And then here's what he said. Lord, here's what they've been saying about you. What you going to do about that, Lord? And before they woke up the next morning, one angel had come down from heaven and killed 185,000 soldiers in the Assyrian. God said, don't mess with my people. And that's why we better pray that our nation never, ever turns its back on the nation of Israel. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we know at the end of time the Antichrist is going to rise up and there'll be one final attempt to destroy God's people. They'll be running for their lives. They will hide in forests and in caves. And yet when all is said and done, the, the Antichrist and all of his allies are going to be destroyed and cast into the lake of fire. You know why? This is a wicked world and this is a warring world. God is going to fight for his people. And last of all, look at verse 6. It's a wonderful world. Look at verse number 6. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When God bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. God's going to fight for them. What's going to happen? When we read about verse 6, the salvation of Israel. The Bible said, oh, the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. 
Uh, here's the people in great despair, in great trouble. And right there at that moment when it seemed like all was lost, guess what? God showed up. And God has a tendency to do that, don't he? And the Bible said the salvation of Israel coming. God brought back the captivity of his people. And then when he said that, the salvation of Israel, notice the song of Israel. Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. I've said all that to say this, ladies and gentlemen. They're fighting a battle. The Hamas and the uh, Hezbollah and the, uh, the, uh, the Muslims, the jihadists, they're fighting a battle they can't win. The fight's fixed. There's no way they can win. God's people are going to be on the winning side. We have a great God. And by the way, if God's going to take care of His people, them people, God's going to take care of us people. God, count on it, friend. God's going to take care of His people. What a great psalm. Write the picture of what's going on in our world. They're trying to eat up God's people like they eat bread. You mark this down. I'm no prophet. I'm not the son of the prophet. I can't even, I'm not even a plumber's son. But you mark this down. This world is going to turn more and more against the nation of Israel. Our own country. When our Congress takes a vote to see if they have a right to survive as a nation. God help us. Are we in a mess or what? Ladies and gentlemen, not only do they have a right to survive, but they're going to survive as long as the sun shines by day and the stars twinkle at night and the seas roar, God's people will never cease to exist. And by the way, guess what? Neither will we. We're going to live forever. Amen. Death may come, but guess what? I'm going to live forever anyway. You may have to bury me one of these days, but I'm going to be more alive than I've ever been. And so will you. Let's pray. Father.